You're listening to KXOB, Ocean Beach, where Constancy is the spice of life. Welcome to Beach Cop Detectives, a Terrier's podcast, episode 12, Quid Pro Quo. Welcome back to Beach Cop Detectives. I'm Randy Lander. With me this week is Dean Tripp, cartoonist and creator of the Something Terrible podcast and graphic novel, which you can find at somethingterrible.org. Dean, how you doing? Good, Randy. How are you doing? I'm all right. So we are deep in the season here. We're talking about episode 12, Quid Pro Quo, the penultimate episode of Terriers. Things get pretty intense in this episode. Before we get into all the specifics of it, Dean, how did you come to Terriers? Did you watch it originally when it was on? I think I may have been watching it at the same time you were. Did you watch from episode one? From episode one, yeah. Yeah, I got in at episode two. Okay. Um, what was happening, I, it probably was you talking about it online, and uh, a couple of writers that I follow on Twitter, Mark Wade and Kurt Busick, were both talking about it on Twitter, maybe Ed Brubaker too, but it was all these cool writer guys you know, that you really respect were just going on and on about it, and I got the first two episodes uh, and sat down and watched them back to back. I think that was a better way to get into it, I think, because the first episode – really throws you in the deep end and then the second one things really escalate because the show is a episodic mystery plus long-term creative arc mystery i liked that I, my introduction to it was the first two episodes back to back but that's still that's very much an early adopter you've, you've been on board for a long time so yeah like you i've been one of those people that evangelizes about it <laughs> like it's <laughs> One of the best shows that it was you, you and I both know if this show came out right now, it'd be the coolest shit that better call Saul. Like everybody would be talking about it, but it oh, was sure. just ahead of its time. Yeah, I totally agree. So let's get into quid pro quo. This episode is written by Angela Kang, who's one of the staff writers. She also wrote on Ring and Ding Ding, which is another great episode. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a stupid thing to say. They're all great episodes. I don't think there's an episode in here I don't like. And also no. uh, co-written with staff writer Leslie Headland. It's directed by Adam Arkin, who directed Pimp Daddy. Adam Arkin is a great director. He's done a ton of TV. He's also an actor who's been in a ton of stuff. And to have to have him do two of them is pretty cool. And I think there's a couple things as we go through that I, I noted about the direction of this particular episode. But in general, this episode is really like everything falls apart. Hank and Britt come back together real quick after that sort of brutal breakup of sorts they had in the last episode but we don't mm-hmm. know going in that that's going to happen like there's they play it off like maybe this is going to be a longer term break and i'm glad they put them together but at the same time they let us think that that's not where they were going yeah and it's it's a classic terriers fake out like the underlying emotional like break between the two of them is so real but even when you know later on when you think they're operating really independently stuff you find out later like they faked us out right they also clue us in on the what exactly zeitlin's plan is and we find out just how over their head our guys are like they have always been over their head but this is this is so much bigger this is like chinatown big <laughs> you know when the series starts off you think going after linda's is like oh no like we're we're messing with money now like then you know he wants you to steal half a million dollars and you're like oh this guy's got resources and then we get to zeitland you know and then yeah. things are escalating and escalating i want to mention zeitland michael gaston he's been in a ton of stuff gaston's on a ton of stuff and you see him a lot of times he does like you know a businessman a congressman a military guy yeah he's got an i've said this before he's got sort of an oily charm to him <laughs> like it's yeah. he's never he never seems outright evil like he's never the guy who's like you know doing something like holding his his he's not the guy who's going to shoot his henchman in the head or anything like that but you get the sense that he he could do it at any minute yeah he could if you know financially it made sense or for the people he works for it made sense the way uh he plays this character is that you know he meets brett at the jail to bail him out and you think you know it's classic terrier's fake out we your lawyer's here and we maggie's bailing him out and then open the door to zeitland they can't give you a cream or something for that? Creams don't work, man. Hey, do me a favor. Take a look and tell them what the inflammation's doing. Pollock! Come here. The lawyer's here. Hi! Who the hell are you? 
Where's Maggie? Oh, Mr. Pollock. We've never met yet. I feel like we know each other. Ben Zeitlin. Your partner has mentioned me, no doubt. Yeah, I do. Now I'm surprised Mr. Dulworth hasn't bailed you out already. Well, it, it gives us an opportunity to talk. You're free to go, if you like. I paid your bail. I had hoped that it would buy me five minutes of your time. Good. You've gotten yourself into a bit of trouble, Mr. Pollock. The charges against you are serious. I think that I can help you. If you're interested. You you could see Brit being like, all right, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, they definitely fake us out a few times here where you think that Brit might actually be working for Zeitland. Yeah. Because he seems eminently reasonable. In fact, when he first talks to Hank in that office way back in Manifest Destiny, he seems perfectly reasonable. I mean, he's a little slimy, but he's charming and friendly. And if Hank wasn't so instantly distrustful of anybody rich, he might have been able to sort of get to Hank under his uh, you know, under his sway. Yeah, if Hank wasn't so emotionally invested, that's one of the great things. All the characters on the show have these cool gray area things. I was telling my son about, you know, my son's only eight, so he hasn't watched Terriers. But I right. was telling my son about what I, I like about this show because he was asking me what I was watching. They've hit the middle ground between where they both were before. Right. And it's like there was a good guy in society who was doing bad things and a bad guy in society who, you know, saves a woman from, you know, a rapist. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's this he's a bad guy who does good. Right. If Hank at the beginning hadn't been so motivated by his pal being killed, he might have been swayed by like, oh, this is too dangerous to get into, you know. Right, because Britt talks him out of it back in Manifest Destiny. He's like, you know what? We're out. This is too big. Mm -hmm. And it's just because they get pulled back into it because it's so big and because Laura Ross is in danger. And that's sort of how they get pulled back into it and because Hank needs something to keep him from drinking. Well, and that it, he, it's funny because, you know, knowing Hank, the best thing that happened to him is that he happens to be in the bathroom when Zeitlin's in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Because he was at the bottom. And then finally you put him you – know, that guy's uh, – tornado with its head cut off but has a heart of gold you know what i mean like he needs direction yes. for his destruction you know yeah and totally. so he aims it where it's supposed to go not at himself but i love the laura ross character it's like lois lane just showed up on this show and it's awesome yeah and, and that leads us right into talking about the first step the first part of this episode where it's hank and laura and they're in his office and they've got the, you know, the map on the wall and they've got the board figuring out everything. And what I love about that first scene is they're walking through the Montague story for each other. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's a catch up for viewers who jumped on with episode 12, if you ever do that kind of thing. I mean, back in 2006, right. people sometimes did that kind of thing. But what's great about that scene in my mind is that every time we see Hank and Laura together, you're really getting that she's operating at the same high level that Hank does. She's legitimately great at what she's doing. And we could have been watching a whole show about her side of this equation. Yeah. Laura Ross is in many ways. Is it rule 43, Hank? <laughs> That's, yeah, I buy that. The two of them have an instant chemistry. And she's really a late in the late in the game character. She shows up in episode 10 of a 13 episode show. It's really cool. The show feels very real. Like there's, you know, everybody's a little too clever. Not everybody. You know, they write the cleverer characters as having cleverer jokes. You know, people right. can riff. People have real histories, real complications. Problems come up and you have to like find a way out of this, even though you had good intentions that led to whatever mistake you've just horribly made. But like <laughs> in real life, you know, sometimes you encounter somebody late in the story of whatever you're dealing with. And, and I, I love that this totally plausible character has been operating on the other side of this mystery. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a flip side show where we've been watching Laura Ross's investigation as Zeitlin Associates. And I would 100% watch that. Yeah, me too. If Terriers had been popular enough to keep going, I would have, I would have loved a, a Laura Ross spinoff. Yeah. The prequel, Better Call Ross. Right? Or even <laughs> just, you know, man, I know that you and I are both on the same page here and preaching to the choir of anybody listening to this, but even a second season to see what Hank and Laura could have gotten up to, I'd have been 100% with that. Oh, yeah. We jump from there, from Laura revealing that she has an anonymous source inside Zeitland, to Britt coming out of jail, 
Or they talk about Britt being in jail and how Hank is letting him cool his heels. Right, which did not work out for him because that's what gave Zeitlin the in. Or maybe it did because that in lets them in on Zeitlin's plan a little bit. So, But I don't know if that was so much a plan as Lucky Accident, which is very Terrier's. <laughs> yeah, that is the thing. Lucky Accidents and, you know, intentional, you know, trying to do good leading to a mistake. But Zeitlin's offer is really funny, too, because all he offers Brit is a carrot. And then we don't find out the stick until they get back to Maggie's. And it's like, oh, well, the DA has, you know, someone's pressuring him to really take it hard on you. And you're like, oh, it's Zeitlin. Yeah. Zeitlin is not dumb. He's working it from both angles. He's right. he's def- Like you say, he's got the carrot and the stick. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting uh, when Laura goes to meet her source, who she doesn't meet because – for whatever reason, she's, she's just getting, like, paper information. Hank follows her. And it's so good because they don't even, like, we don't follow Hank there. We follow her there. And then there's just this silent shot where you cut to Hank hiding behind some columns. You know, the efficiency of the storytelling is so awesome. Also, I think that set, that open amphitheater they use there, is another great set. And another nod to just them shooting in San Diego and how important that was to Terriers. Yeah, it has a real sense of place. I also, and I, I'm almost sure this was an accident, but I was watching, and as, as Laura and Hank are talking, there's an airplane that flies up behind them. Uh-huh. And I wondered if that was like, is that is that a hint? But I, I, I'm almost sure it was an accident, but it was a hint. It was the best subtle <laughs> thing ever. It really is, if you think about it, yeah. So there's a little more information that we get after Hank sort of chides Laura. Laura. You're not being as careful as you think you are. What the hell? I followed you. Why? To make sure no one else did. By the way, getting off and on the freeway twice wasn't quite as effective and evasive technique as you might have thought, even if you weren't really meeting your source. Have you ever met him? We communicate solely online, and if I need a document, I come here. But he, he's not a jerk about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, he definitely is, like, let me explain to you. Yeah, it's playful. We find out that the inside source is looking into something called Playa Verde, where Jason Adler, Hank's I don't even know how to parse this relationship. Hank's ex-wife's new husband, Jason Adler, is the lead architect. Yeah, and that's a great way of looping things around that you don't see coming. Yeah, and I don't feel like it's a cheat. You're, I mean, you're allowed coincidences. Yeah. And especially one like this where this guy's a notable architect, and of course he's involved in this. Like Ocean Beach is played as its own city in this show. Yeah. And, you know, it's its own small area where uh, this – powerful famous rich architect would definitely you know could be working on things so after they've picked up brit they go to to playa verde and that's going to be interesting but before they do that they have to go pick up brit and before they do that we get to meet freddie oh right freddie freddie's played by jim calloway he's only in this episode and i believe he's in the finale and he's another one of these late in the game like oh man i would have loved to have seen more of this guy yeah yeah, Freddie is a great character, and it's it's so we talk about this all the time. But one of the things that Terriers nails, and I think why so many creative types are really attracted to the show, is the efficiency. Where like in just that one scene, you know, and he comes back later in this episode, but just in that one scene, you totally buy that Hank's known him for a long time. They've got some cool story, you know, and oh, even the dialogue is clever. You know what I miss? Small talk. You know, greases the wheels of human interaction. Nobody does that anymore. You know what I miss? The Mesozoic era. I'm in kind of a hurry. There's $20,000 in bearer bonds in there. I'll take 15 in cash. What, are they hot or something? Or something. And I'll give you five. Done. Pleasure doing business with you. So how are the wife and kids? Weather hot enough for you? Think the Padres will catch the Dodgers? Oh, man, too late now. Get out. Better, Fred. Yeah, and he's he's just he's a great character. And like you say, he's interested introduced and out in really just a minute or two, but he instantly makes an impression. You're like, oh, this is like the RV guys. It's like all the all the background and all the all the resources that Hank has mm-hmm. that we never get to see. Yeah, and you, I mean, it totally would have made sense that like maybe Hank knew him from when he was a cop. Maybe you know he was an informant or you know whatever the thing is. Like, but it totally makes sense that he could have this resource. Oh, sure. We see him again at the very end of the episode, and I think that's probably why he was introduced was to sort of mm-hmm. give Hank that in, so that we so didn't we didn't go like, wait, who's this guy? How does he know this guy? He needs him to swap out those bearer bonds for money so he can pay Britt's bail, or so he thinks. Because when he gets there, Britt's getting bailed out, and he's being kind of cold toward Hank. Because you know he shows up with that money that he had to trade some bearer bonds in, 
And in a minute, Britt's going to make fun of him. You know, what'd you get 50 cents on the dollar? But he did take a terrible deal on the, trading that yeah. in because, you know, they because that traces back to Linda's. So when Hank's in trouble, he just uses the bearer bonds and he'll take a bad deal because he's got to help his buddy, you know, because money doesn't mean anything to Hank. Hank's about justice, not money. Well, and also that's I mean, that's why Hank Hank will do things for Brit. Like the Hank went down to Mexico mm-hmm. and and even the thing that ha- that Brit is mad at him about mm-hmm. keeping keeping him in the dark. The Brit Hank did that for Brit. It just might have been the wrong call. Yeah. But it, it wasn't selfish. He was trying to protect Brit and Katie. Yeah, he really it's one of those like it, it's terrible advice from totally the right place. You know, yeah, he's really trying to keep his friend uh, Donald explain this in your interview with him. But the way you know, it's like that brotherly sister relationship where he's trying to protect Katie, too, and give her advice that he thinks will help her. But yeah, <laughs> it really didn't work out. Yeah. And the two of them really go at it like they're definitely selling that they are at odds and they are at odds. I mean, I think it's real when they're yelling at each other. I think yeah. that's totally real. One of the things that's so great is when they're mad at each other over a thing they understand or if they're they're letting their emotions from other outside things affect their relationship and you can tell like if Brit's having trouble with Katie and then he's taking it out on Hank but then he realizes it do you know what i mean yeah absolutely but in this case that that last time they spoke before he gets bailed out was the walk away and oh i mean it sticks with you those guys are so good yeah the writing and performances are so good and they've established this like I don't, it's hard to like get real on-screen friendships that you buy as a viewer that are as good as this one. And so when Brit had told him like walk away, Hank, you just oh, <laughs> you know, it's it's this something's been broken. Yeah, it hits really hard. From there, we're at Laura, Brit, and Hank in Mags's office, and it's a pretty small scene because it's all it's just exposition. It's just a reveal that basically Zeitlin's working against them. The DA's going to charge Brit with aggravated battery, looking at three years in jail. But honestly, more, I, I would have been so happy to see these four in a room all the time. Mm-hmm. I love Mags. I love Jamie Denbo and Laura, Mags, Brit, and Hank representing the law, journalism, and the private eye side of things. Yeah. Like that is, that's a show right there. And there's one last component, or so we think, because Mags reveals that she has a friend who might hate Zeitlin as much as they do. He might. City council member Sam Albrecht. Sam Albrecht is another one of these characters, like Laura Ross. This is the 12th episode of the show, mm-hmm. and yet he is so instantly a part of the show. He's played by Scott Clace, or mm-hmm. Clase, uh, who's done a ton of TV. He's currently on Bosch on Amazon. And this guy... What a great intro. He comes out of the bathroom right. and starts talking about how healthy he is. Woo! <laughs> Did you guys hear that? I'll tell you what, I was 51 last September and I still got a stream like a 17-year-old. You know why? Saw, palmetto berry, and I ejaculate twice a day. Sometimes alone, sometimes not. You should heed my advice because you're getting up there. Yeah, and you, this guy's like, oh, of course that's what the Ocean Beach City Councilman looks like. Yeah. Of course it is. Well, he def- it's one of those weird things, like kind of like on Breaking Bad, how if you go back and watch Walter White at the beginning, you can see all the flaws in his personality that lead him to become a terrible person. Sure. You know, when he gets pushed into a corner or has more power, all those narcissistic or, or vendetta-type things are all there at the beginning. And this guy, who we're going to see do things we disagree with later on, a lot of the stuff that he's doing is it's coming off as like kind of like keep Austin weird. Like that's the ocean beach. Like we like our town how it is. Lousy. Like it's freedom. Iconoclasm. Like he's this weird kind of dude. But also he's making a lot of power plays in this first meeting. You know, he's peeing in front of them. He's telling people to do what he does. Later on, when he does some things that you don't quite like, that's kind of evident in this first meeting. Yeah, you're right. In in retrospect, it makes perfect sense. But here, when we first meet him, you're thinking, oh, yeah. this guy's a crusader. Yeah. And he, he knows Laura Ross. He likes her stuff. He, you know, sure, he seems a little full of himself, but he cares about this town the same way that Hank does. Right. You think. Well, you think, yeah. 
They drop Britt off, and he's kind of mopey. And I do want to mention that I give a lot of credit to Donald Logue throughout. Like, Donald Logue does sadness and sort of melancholy like nobody's business. Yeah. But Britt's sort of hangdog expression in Mag's office, and then when he's looking at Zeitlin's business card, it's just as good. He realizes how bad he screwed up his life. Yeah. Michael Raymond James is uh, excellent, and I think he's at his – just, I mean, it's just like everybody else on this show. When you're getting such good writing, awesome like design and themes for the show, everybody's on their game. And even just in the car ride, the little shots to like, because <laughs> like Laura and Hank banter stuff back and forth trying to solve the mystery. But Britt's like, even before he's complaining, even before he's like, I thought we were going here to like fix my thing. He's you're just getting these looks where you can see that puppy dog thing like the whole time. Like he's worried about what's going on with him because his life's just been ruined from this huge mistake he's made. When when Hank and Laura are sort of flirting and bantering back and forth, mm-hmm. it's got to be running through his mind that he's just lost that. Right. Yeah, it's got to be running through his mind that he just lost Katie. That's got to be digging at him a little bit, even though he wants Hank to be happy just as much as anybody else. But I'm sure that that's partly like a, oh, look what that guy has that I've just cost myself. Well, and we've seen the reverse of that throughout the series before the Brit-Katie breakup, where Hank is being supportive of Brit, even though Brit has this wonderful relationship with Katie where you can tell they're – banter their attraction to each other like it's so strong and they really care about each other and then now it's kind of been flipped yeah totally so brit goes to meet zeitland and it's another great locale it's like looking over this this you know all these boats and it's very rich looking locale it makes sense for zeitland Mm -hmm. i love that he goes up that burke searches him burke is by the way always a dick yeah burke sucks and (laughs) (laughs) but his whole thing like to pat brit down you get the sense that the only human uh, physical affection in that man's life. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Burke is a guy who's probably, you know, an S&M guy. If, <laughs> if anything gives him pleasure, it's that kind of right. thing. When he goes to talk to Zeitland, we don't know that that Brit's still in. Like, Brit tells him the disc isn't isn't real, which Hank specifically told him not to do. And then he gives this sort of speech about how he didn't grow up here. I'm not from here, you know. Not like Hank is. So I don't give a shit what you're doing. I'm going to take something and turn it into something else. I'm fine with it. But I do care about him. And I don't necessarily want to see anything bad happen to that reporter lady either. So if you can promise me that you won't do anything against them. I can. I do. Then I'd like your help keeping me out of prison. And I'd like to do something to earn it. Oh, Brit's flipped. Yeah, at this point in the episode, you totally buy it, and he doesn't have a dog in this race, you know? Like, right? he just wants to stay out of prison and keep Hank safe, and Laura kind of is an afterthought. So you're thinking, like, oh my, why is he doing that? And as it turns out, he's doing it to get in with Zeitlin. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also it also kind of puts them a little bit in the clear when you think about it, because if, he, they, if the evidence doesn't exist and Zeitlin believes that finally— and the only way he'd believe it is if he believes Brit is betraying Hank's trust to tell him. That. Right. Like Hank couldn't tell him oh, I was just lying. You know, <laughs> he wouldn't buy that. Right. But in this case, Zeitlin believes it. And then he doesn't have to keep coming after them just for that evidence. Right. It gives them a little bit of breathing room and maybe Zeitlin won't have them killed. We jump back and Hank and Laura are investigating Playa Verde and Jason. And Adler seems like he's just really pissed at Hank. <laughs> But we we quickly find out that's a ruse because he gives him a handwriting and they go over to Hank's house and Jason's not stupid. He's never been presented as stupid. No. And so he's, you know, he's been he's known what's going on. He tells them about how their their money was dry, drying up and that Playa Verde came in and the contract stipulates that if they don't finish phase one in six months, they take control. And then they started having these workplace accidents and stolen materials. And Playa Verde sent a security consultant who they quickly confirmed was Burke. Mm-hmm. And then he starts talking about this wind measuring device thing that they were putting these wind measuring devices on, and they were very particular about the placement, and they want more information they should need, and he gives them the plans, which look like a fuller set of plans, and there's a name on them for who designed them. And I think this is another – they do a good job in Terriers of bringing in people who their expertise is important. Like you needed the expert witness, the architect who could say, hey, these are these – are, there's something else here. Right. So then you can put the detective on it to go look for what else is there. And the plans have a name 
V White and Associates on them. Yep. Which I can only name as Vanna White and Associates. <laughs> oh man, if it, this goes all the way to the top up to Vanna. That's right. I hope Sajak isn't involved. <laughs> that guy's crazy. Yeah, he's a patsy. <laughs> but there's a nice cut from that from from the paper that says V White and Associates to a girl in a laundromat reading a V White and Associates memo. And that girl is Ashley, played by Elizabeth Chomko, mm-hmm. who is sitting there at the laundromat. And Britt's there. He wrinkles up a dollar to have a reason to ask for help, which I thought was a very slick move, by the way. Yeah. If if I were still single, I'd be like, oh, that's a good move. I'd, I'm stealing that. Well, or if you're a PI, like it, it's yeah. How you know? One of the things the show has done is really impress us with Hank's ingenuity. And this episode, where at this point we still kind of think that Brit has gone rogue and he's having to pull his own like PI tricks. This meet cute that he orchestrates and really works. Yeah. And we forget because we've seen Brit in a relationship for so long, we forget just how sort of charming and cute he mm-hmm. is because he, he gets this girl immediately gets her attention <laughs> yeah. and he's, he's got that charm and he's got that banter and, and the two of them, like it's another one of these great character bits where I'm like, Oh, I believe this relationship, and these two met like two seconds ago. Yeah, yeah, and it, but you know what's crazy about it is, is later, you know, we're we're gonna see this continue with their quote unquote date, but we've put Brit in another position where there's a girl he actually seems to kind of like, but he's having to start off how he's met her by lying to her. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. That worked, that worked out for him for the most part previously. Well, it's not going to work out as well here. <laughs> but we start, we get the first hint that maybe he's not fully working for Zeitland, or maybe he is because she mentions she works at Zeitland Associates. She says, he ever heard of it? And he says, no. And then we know he's lying to her, mm-hmm. but we don't know why. And then we cut to him repeating to reporting to Zeitland, who's very amused at this whole thing and asks how he did it. And they, we realize, oh, he's he's working for Zeitlin. He's he's trying to figure out if Ashley's the leak. Yeah, and it's funny because you know Zeitlin doesn't go for Brit's charming riffs. At, like he doesn't want to play the game where we talk cute about what happened. He's not fun. Right. He doesn't care about the people that work for him or Brit. He's and then he right. even says like. You know, my conversations with Mr. Burke don't go like this because you, yes, Burke is I, just a I scary love that. weirdo. Yeah, I love that. And you feel like, yeah, Burke's probably more in tune with the way Zeitlin does things than Brett. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, I want this done. It'll be handled, sir. Yeah, exactly. That's all. That's the extent of their conversations. Right. Uh, you feel like the only question Burke's ever asked is how badly do you want them hurt? <laughs> well, and, and he, he wouldn't even say it exactly like that, you know, because that's actionable. Yeah. You know. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like the problem will be dealt with. <laughs> then we see a quick cut to Katie and Gavin. Poor, poor, sad, no longer handsome Gavin. Yeah, and this is when Katie finds out about Brit. Right. She, yeah, she had no idea. She just heard that he gotten he gotten beat up. Mm-hmm. And Gavin's being kind of a jerk. He's like, "Good thing you broke with up with him. That guy's going away for a while." But the, he he probably uh, he he's earned his his anger. I think you see this a lot on Law and Order shows where the the victim of a kidnapping or something, the parents will be kind of jerkish. So you, you yeah. feel bad for them, but you also don't feel too bad. And Gavin's been kind of a douche, you know, <laughs> like the whole series. Yeah. Like he's hitting on this girl constantly after she's told him she has a boyfriend and, you know, and then whining about like he got punished even though he didn't get the reward. And yet, oh man, that line. In a way, he's innocent enough to have not gotten his ass kicked. But he also sucks, so I don't feel like crazy <laughs> bad for him. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's like it's like, oh, you didn't deserve this, but at the same time, I don't really feel bad. You you were a guy you probably need an ass kicking. Yeah, she, he he didn't deserve that, <laughs> but he also didn't deserve Katie bringing by his homework for him. Like, screw that guy. Right. <laughs> so we see Britt call Hank, and we finally learn that they're working together. I don't. It's it's these subtle signals where it's like. It's not, hey, my plan to make Zeitlin think I'm working for him is succeeding. You know, it's just right. He just calls him with the information. Then you're like, oh, I get it. This show trusts you as a viewer so much. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because Ted Griffin, of course, wrote Ocean's Eleven, which does hold your hand a little bit. Not in a bad way. I love Ocean's Eleven. But when he when he when he does, he does the heist thing where like when they reveal what was actually going on, Mm -hmm. they flash back and show us everything that happened. Mm -hmm. 
which feels like kind of Hollywood notes. Like, oh, make sure everyone in the audience understands that that's the SWAT truck because we see the the little air freshener. You know, make sure everybody understands that this was all part of the plan. They were never mad at each other. Like Terriers does the same kind of reversals, but it doesn't give you that clue in. It's like it's it trust that you're smart enough to figure it out. Yeah, but even in that, his frustration with Hank is a hundred percent legit. <laughs> like yeah, he's sure. calling him with the information, but he's still like. There was an earlier bit where, you know, Hank tries to make like some more jokes when they're dropping Brit off. And he's like, come on, man, that always usually cracks you up. And he's like, tell it to her, man. Like this episode, Brit is still like, even though he's this great to find out that they are working together, he's still really pissed at Hank. Yeah, there's they're still not in good place. entirely. But he calls Hank and Hank's at a place that's filled with files. and He's looking at blueprints there. Jason's with them. And they find plans for an airport in South Korea that are related to these Playa Verde plans. Mm -hmm. And Hank recognizes the coastline. He asks Jason. By the way, Jason Adler is straight man for the most part. He does not get a lot of of funny lines. But he does get one here where Hank asks. He's like, you have a map of Ocean Beach? He's like, yeah, I got one in my back pocket. Uh, For me, that's the extent of that guy's cleverness. Yeah, but I was glad he got that. You almost think that the the fact that he's – so not making jokes about everything all the all the time is one of the things comforting about him, you know? Yeah, the Grishin's like, this guy's nothing like Hank. Right. It's I don't have to wonder if anything you're saying is true or not all the time. Right. He has the, he has a sense of humor you have with your like your golf buddies where it's like, oh, that's not funny jokes. But you guys laugh at them because you like each right. other. He, he doesn't have actual like the sarcastic wit. Mm-hmm. But I was I was glad. Poor Jason's going to meet a sad end at the end of this episode. So I like that he had his little moment. Yeah, that's good for him. But this is also like super clever because, you know, so they go – they've got the South Korea map and Hank recognizes the coastline. That's a yeah. clever mystery clue. You know, the fact that – Yes, it is. That's smart of a corporation to make it look like it's for some other place. And then when you realize what it actually is, which you could only do if you really knew the place, which, again, is like hinting at how much Hank Dalworth loves Ocean Beach, is that he's like, no, wait, that's Ocean Beach. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Hank, Ocean Beach is is to Hank as Gotham is to Batman. Yeah. He knows all the alleys. He knows he knows everybody here. He knows what it looks like. Yeah. And as it turns out, it's it's a defender that uh, the city doesn't necessarily deserve, but they need. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> the unappreciated defender the city definitely needs. <laughs> we cut back to Britt and Ashley, and we talked about this. They've got that great chemistry, and it seems like just a date. And then Britt is telling her real things, like Ashley spots Britt's recent breakup. Yeah, it's like she's, she's got a beat on him, but their chemistry is so good. Like she, she, she says, you know, uh, what was her name? Like, you can't do anything to hurt me. You're not in a position to hurt me right now. What was her name? And right. And Brit tells her the truth. Like he got cheated on, but then mm-hmm. banters his way into the, <laughs> I don't want to hurt you, but I don't know anywhere to eat around here. Yeah. <laughs> and they, I mean, she's super busy at her job. She wasn't probably looking for a lot of extended dating either. Like this is this is the ideal relationship for her. It's like a guy who gets her, comes over, is funny. They can have sex and order in food. Like that's that's a that's a great first date for her and for him. Well, it's low stress, you know. Yeah, but it's also yeah. it's funny because you know when Britt was talking to Zeitlin, he explained like I got reservations for this place. You're paying for it, you know. And yeah, so he's got a plan already for this, you know, corporate lawyer. But his read on her is what she'd like to do is stay in. <laughs> Like very much. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he, we know he had a setup, unless he was lying to Zeitlin, but I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't think so either. And yeah, he's got some of the same skills Hank does in terms of, le- of reading someone. Yeah, and he just says, this, yeah, this is what we want. However, it starts out low stress and very quickly escalates when he's talking to her and he sort of lets his guard slip and says, hey, do me a favor. Don't leave any more packages at the Embarcadero. And she just flips on him. So listen, do me a favor. Don't leave any more packages at the Embarcadero. That might mean something to you, it might not, but if it does... You son of a bitch. I'm just saying, don't leave any more packages. You son of a bitch! He sent you? He sent you? He thinks I'm the office snitch? Ashley... Get out! Get out! Get out! Now! Get out or I'm calling the police! I'm serious! Get out! Okay, I'm... God! Get out! Get out! 
And that that tells us something important, which is that Zeitlin knows about the leak. Well, it means that Zeitlin knows about the leak. She's high enough to know that the Embarcadero means something to the leak. Like, right. she feels so betrayed. One of the things that I really like about this character is only in this little bit, right? Ashley is just this cute lawyer girl, but she gets a read on Brit. She's She can banter with him. And then, you know, they have their, you know, sexual encounter. Suddenly, as soon, you know, and even after that, where it's like, hey, I like you. It's like, I like you, too. And you feel like maybe this is where Brit's life is going. If he can if he can not screw this up right now, <laughs> but by trying to protect her, make sure she doesn't lose her job and doesn't become a target of Zylan. That's the sense that I get in that. But she's so smart that she immediately is like, he sent you. He thinks I'm the office snitch, you know. And so this betrayal we're getting from Ashley and how much it hurts is so strong because we've just seen how sweet they are together. Like, it's so nice. They have real history. They could really be a thing. And then her outrage and betrayal and pain is just over the top and incredible. And then you feel it so strong. Yeah, that's another testament to what it, what Terriers does. And this episode, too, which is like 42 minutes without commercials. And in this episode, they introduce not only Ashley, but also Sam Albrecht and also Freddie. Mm-hmm. And each of those characters and those relationships feels fully realized so that we can have consequences to them. We cut back over to Jason for the last time. He's on the phone. He's having this sort of sweet mundane conversation saying he's picking up dinner he's on the way i love you too that is the last thing he'll ever say to gretchen yeah and then hank gives him a chance to back out yeah i was gonna say hank gives him the out hank is hank is the live grenade in in gretchen's life we've seen that she referenced it a few episodes ago and it it is undeniable that hank's involvement got jason killed yeah but Jason's inherent decency is really what got him killed because Hank gives him the out. He says, look, I, I know, you know, you don't want to be involved in all this. Like, if you want out, I understand. And Jason says, no, I, I want to start a family here. I'm in. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting choice for his motivation, right? Because just yeah. that one line, though, we plan to build a family here. I'm in this to save, you know, I want to save this place, too. That motivation touches back on everything that we've seen in the you know the conflict between Jason and Hank and Gretchen because yes. Gretchen and Hank couldn't have kids and then when Hank has the suspicion about Jason being involved in this child molestation case like right. he's like that's when it comes up that like I'm maybe it's good we couldn't have kids like you want to have a family with this guy like his suspicion of Jason has been and in that scene like as soon as he says we want to build a family here we cut to hank and it's almost like he's there's i swear to God, donald logue is one of my favorite actors and i know that you and i agree on this and everybody who's been on the show will talk about how great he is i think he's one of the only two people who has what i call the john goodman effect where if you cast yeah. him in a thing it doubles the quality of that thing because he's so good with micro acting like these like tiny expressions and when he says family feels all the weight of that history and has made peace with i was wrong to mistrust this guy i am so glad you mentioned that because i was going to say yeah it's he's hank's got to be expressing both he's glad that jason's in he's glad that he's a decent guy he's glad that he he's found gretchen and at the same time he lost gretchen to him mm-hmm. he's he accused him of being a child molester a few episodes ago <laughs> He and he and Gretchen couldn't have a family. Now Jason's going to have what he never could have. Like all these things, there's like ten things going on, mm-hmm. and it's all on Donald Logue's face. I don't know how anyone does that. Yeah, it's really impressive because you're right. You totally see it. Like if you've been watching Terriers at all, when he says that line, if you're looking at Donald Logue, you see all of that in his face, and it's like two seconds. Yeah, I know. It's but. And that's another thing down to the directing and the editing where they hold on it for just long enough for you to think about it. Yes, they make you – they cue you in. Yes, you're right. They've got a plan to meet the source. Britt shows up and says, hey, uh, the person I was talking to, that's not the source, but they know about the Embarcadero, so they know where the source is going. So Hank and Britt are going to go to the Embarcadero and scare away. Jason and Laura are going to stay here and try to get a message to her. Right, and you know, immediately – (laughs) <laughs> the conflict between Brit and Laura. It really is like the 
new girlfriend, old girlfriend kind of situation where like, yeah, Laura's like, she, you told her about the meeting place. And then Brit is just like, yeah. I didn't sign up to be your bitch. Like she is pissed <laughs> at like, and he's writing with all this anger that it's mostly at Hank and he's directing it towards Laura, you know? Yeah. And that happens throughout the show. People directing anger at other people. Uh, it's so, it's so real. I, I believe it's it. so real because it happens all the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what you do with anger when you can't express it at someone that you're actually mad at. If it's someone you love and you don't want to get into a thing, you turn it on somebody else that you can get away with. It's, exactly. it's, a, it's a, such a natural human thing. Yeah. But anybody who's ever played D and D knows you don't split the party and it's going to cost them. Yeah, that's right. Because it seems like a good idea, but as they go, they get a call from Laura. She's changed the, the meat to Sam's liquor. And then the phone cuts out. Yeah. And on that ride, before we get to where they end up, because this scene is amazing. But before, on, just on the ride with Britt and Hank, we've, we've got them back together alone, I think, for the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. You know, this is them together back in the truck without Laura. And, <laughs> and there's this really good bro moment, I think. And, yeah. and I hesitate to yeah. say good bro moment. But, you know, one of the things this show does is it's about friendship. And it's so strong. But these two are have been at odds for a little while now, and then suddenly Hank's like, "You smell like a girl, did you?" <laughs> you know, it's like he already picks the fact that Britt got laid earlier. Yeah, let's let's before we get to the scene, I don't want to mention that Katie and Gretchen. Katie goes to see Gretchen. Oh yeah, we get that because little that's what, thing. That's, of that. yeah, that's what's going on while there while the while the big scene is happening, and Katie and Gretchen are talking, and in no way does this pass the Bechtel test because they're talking about Hank and they're talking about sure. Britt. Sure you don't want wine or something? I have a bottle open. Um, this, this is fine. Oh, that's right. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but at the wedding it seems... Are you? Yeah. Congrats. How far along? Yeah, not far. Are you sure I'm not crashing or something? I feel like it's... No, not at all. I could use your company. You and Britt must be thrilled. Yeah, um, we broke up. What? Yeah, a lot happened during your honeymoon. Um, Britt did something pretty awful after I I did something awful. It was mostly my fault. I'm sorry to hear that. I I, I thought you too. Uh, Me too. Is there any hope? I don't know. It's like there's this Brit who I love, who is gentle and funny and makes me feel loved and secure. And and sometimes there's this other person who I don't even know. I went through all of that with Hank. That's why I wanted to talk to you. When did you know for sure it was over with Hank? A long time before I left him. Probably the day I realized he was drinking during the day. We were talking about having kids, which in and of itself was a nightmare. And I realized if he's not going to shape up for that, when is he? But you have to keep in mind, Brit is not Hank. I wish we'd been able to get more of these two characters together because they've got the same chemistry that everybody else has in this show. It's so good to see them together and talking. This scene... What's so heartbreaking about it is that we know, you know, Jason's dead now and Gretchen doesn't. And is just having this conversation about, you know, like friendly advice. And she has no idea that the love of her life has just been murdered. And we're watching it. Yeah, she's talking to her from a place of my life is stable and where I want it to be right now. And she has no idea that's about to crumble. Yeah, it's awful. (laughs) Like. And it gives it gives a weight to the scene. And yeah, the scene ends with a phone call to Gretchen, which we know what that phone call is. Let's jump back to that scene at Sam's Liquor. We've got seven minutes left in the episode, and this is a Terrier's trademark of, oh, there's a few minutes left. Let's do something huge. Mm-hmm. So they go up to Sam's Liquor. It's looking bad because the place is open. Nobody's here. The phone's off the hook. Something is definitely wrong. Yeah, that sound. The sound of the phone being off the hook is like this huge signal. Like when you're walking in, you see nobody, and it's like, what's going on? Yeah. And then Hank sees... A woman just shot dead in the wine aisle. Well, and she's you see her legs first, so it's like white white pants, and you think it's going to be Laura because she has a lot of white outfits. Right, and it's not her, and that's and that's good. But then Britt is yelling, and 
they go over and Jason is just dead in the, at the beer case. Yeah. He's, he's gone. Like there's not a, there's no like, they don't do the cliched, you know, tell, tell Gretchen I love her. He's not there to tell them anything. He's just dead. It's, it's, there's a finality to it. And even when Britt is like, he yells for Hank, but then I think he even has his hands up for a second because like emotionally he's like, I, I don't want this to happen. I don't want you to right. know this is what reality is that, you know, yeah. our involvement with Jason has now led to this. And it's such, it's nothing. It's this, this is the thing about these guys, like these two actors, you know, carrying this show surrounded by this incredible cast, you know, like we haven't even talked about Gustafson, who I love the, the tiniest stuff like that moment where he's like trying to physically block him before you see what, you know, that Jason's dead. It's, it's a real thing. Like that feeling is so real. Yeah. Then we cut over to that Katie and Gretchen scene. We cut back and it's a crime scene now. Yeah. We're about to find out just how bad the, tra- the uh, trouble is escalating because the police are there mm-hmm. and Captain Bremer is talking to Hank and they find out that because of what happened with Reynolds in the previous episode, that Gustafson is on temporary suspension review, <laughs> which means that Hank has no allies on the force all of a sudden. Yeah. So like immediately the captain has the it's a holdup gone wrong, whatever, you know, like this. Yeah. Yeah. This sort of like I've ascended the ladder. This is, you know, it's just another one of these things we see all the these people in the street killing each other. It's stupid, you know. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have that detective's heart that won't, he's not a terrier, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And finding out that Mark has been suspended. Yeah. It it really throws Cause he had nothing to do with Reynolds, but they were partners for a long time. Yeah. So he's, they've lost all their support on the, on the police. They've lost their witness and at least temporarily they've lost their reporter because Laura's missing in action. Can't find Laura. Right. And Britt talks to a uniform, gets an ID, finds out the woman who was killed was a lawyer at Zeitlin, so it's definitely the source. Mm-hmm. And they quickly figure out, because these guys are smart, that Laura, if she saw something, would take off to someone who would listen. So they go and crash Councilman Albrecht's meeting. They're like, okay, this is where the rubber hits the road. They're going to talk to the councilman. They're going to they're gonna get on this now. This scene is amazing. Because oh, he treats them like he's never seen them. But he's in a meeting, and he acts like he doesn't know them. And when Hank starts yelling at him, he sounds like a crazy paranoid loon. Can we talk to you privately, please? There's an urgent matter we have to discuss. Um, have you seen Laura Ross? We thought she might have come here. Look, I, gentlemen, I'm sorry. I'm in a meeting. Councilman, there's three dead bodies in a liquor store in Alcohol because of this. Maybe a fourth. Can we please talk to you in private? Well, guys, I, I'm sure the local police are doing everything that they can. You know what? If you have a grievance, we have a town hall meeting the first Thursday of every oh, month. Oh, no, no. You, you can don't. Take... Don't just sit there and pretend you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Debbie, call security. Who got to you, huh? What? They pay you off? People are dead. Hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. That's what they want. They want us both in jail. He's got our evidence. Just give us our goddamn evidence back. Please. Thank I'm you. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. All right, Albrecht. You know what? You're the biggest piece of white whale shit there is, man. And when this goes down and it's going down, it's taking you with it. Wow. <laughs> Hank doesn't expect that at all because he believed like we did when you watched the episode the first time, you know. Yeah, this guy was with us. Yeah. He was when and then yeah. when you think about it, he won't give them the evidence back. You know, and if you right. go back to like what he was saying in that interview cuz I, I took notes on it, like he was so thrilled to get some evidence on this. It makes you wonder if he knew anything about it beforehand. I was going to mention that because when he goes back, when they go back to him, he asks them about the source. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, no, I, this um, is just a piece of paper. I need a person. Yeah. And then he asks if he can keep it. Mm-hmm. And I figure at that point, yeah, he's been on Zeitlin's pocket this whole time. Yeah. It's either that or he's thinking even if he wasn't in on it, when he hears about a thing yeah. this big. Because he- it's definitely – you could read it either way. Yeah. But he's definitely in it for himself. Right. So – we close out with Katie, Hank, and Gretchen sort of gathering at her house. She's devastated, and this is probably the low point for the series. Like they are in bad trouble. They've lost all their resources, and we see we cut to Hank in that alley with Freddie trying to buy a gun with ten thousand bear bonds. Because Hank, for all he's he's been he's an ex cop, and Britt is an ex criminal. But neither of these guys are guys who carried guns. Yeah, they're not guns guys. They're Batman and Robin. Yeah, they didn't carry guns. So he's there and he grabs a pistol and a shotgun and we're like, oh, it's it's on. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one of the things about the scene where they go to Gretchen's, 
I was thinking about it today when I was rewatching it. You know, I'm like you. I rewatch Terriers at least once a year, like at least. Right. It's sure. 15 episodes. I do a lot of drawing while I watch television. So since I've seen it so many times, like I can just bask in the delightful dialogue. Like every episode <laughs> has like a legit laugh out loud line that's like three to five words long. You know, one of my yeah, favorite sure. series is, yeah, he's a pip. You know, like it's just this nothing <laughs> stuff that's so uh, unique and identifying for this show. But in this scene, when I was thinking about it, Hank and Britt get to Gretchen's. Britt and Katie haven't seen each other since like Britt left with the dog. You know, one of the things that's so nice about the show is the cleverness in terms of the moving the Lego blocks around. But. Mm-hmm. That Gretchen's immediate thought is it doesn't make sense for Jason to have been at a liquor store because we've got cases of wine left from the wedding. Right. And then Hank goes yeah. into that immediate string of, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Because, you know, he obviously feels bad for her, but it really, he knows that he's the live grenade in her life. Yeah. And she's going to have to find out about, he doesn't want to do it now because it just makes things worse, but he knows that that's a matter of time before she finds out about it. It's kind of reminiscent of the bank loan guy, you know? Yeah. Like where it's yeah. like there was no intention of leading to this person's death, but it's Hank's fault. If you, you know, through the Rube Goldberg of events, if you, you know, to use a line from another episode. All right, Dean, I think that wraps it up for us. Thank you for talking with me about this today. Yeah, I I would talk about every single episode about this. I've been really enjoying the podcast, and it's great to see people hearing about Terriers because of this show. I mean, it really is like an evangelism kind of thing. So, we finally know what Zylan's up to, and the gang gains and then loses two allies in rapid and heartbreaking succession. Yep. Ain't we got fun. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tayan. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8blissartumblrcom You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.